Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I am your host, Cody Goodwin, and joining me today, as always, on Monday, Sunday, after the previous Alabama game, it's senior writer, 247 Sports, John Talty. And John, got a lot to discuss today. We got to talk about the college football playoff. We have to go back and look at the SEC championship game, which feels like it happened about a week ago. Um, The transfer portal open today we'll touch on that near the end of the show um but i wanted to start with the playoff with the reveal with the final poll alabama is in number four jumped from number eight to number four biggest jump i believe ever in the 10 years of the college football playoff at least between the penultimate poll and the final poll they're in at number four they'll get michigan in the rose bowl in the first semifinal the other semifinal washington versus texas and people are mad how do we feel about the angst and the anger surrounding this final college football four-team playoff? They're going to expand to 12 next year, but how do we feel about the reaction to not just Alabama getting in, getting in, but most notably, right, Florida State being left out and just everything that has taken place, I guess, in the college football discourse the last, what, 26 hours? I mean, fully expected is what I would say. I mean, I know you and I were talking about it the night before. Um, just the way that it's set up, you had, and we'll, we'll get into all of it, but you know, you had a couple of different paths you could take that all felt justifiable to me, but that were going to guarantee that a big time program with a big fan base was going to be very, very mad. And it was kind of pick your poison, whether that was going to be Alabama, Texas, uh, Florida State. Ultimately, it's Florida State that got left out. And Florida State is, for a long time, has been known as being like one of the wildest uh, fan bases on Twitter, especially. And they did not disappoint on Sunday. They were they were letting it rip. But, I mean, this is kind of what I would say all of the, all of the players were – playing the game that I expected them to play. I think people who like the SEC were happy about it. I think people who don't like the SEC were very angry about it. And I think that informed a lot of the takes and opinions that we saw kind of crop up after that announcement. Did the playoff committee get it right? In my opinion, yes. Um, I think the, the issue for the playoff committee and it'll be, you know, less of an issue moving forward as they expand to 12 teams next year. But it, this stuff will, it, I mean, I don't think there will be quite the angst, just how unique the circumstances was. It's kind of like, who cares at 12? But I'm sure we'll still have these situations pop up. But big picture wise, when your main criteria or main mantra is to pick the four best teams, that is inherently a very vague designation and leads to ultimately a subjective decision. And I think that's, what's been kind of funny to me. And some of the reaction is like, you know, this is subjective. It's like, well, it's all subjective. It's always been subjective. Why did central Florida, which went undefeated, not get in? That was a subjective decision because it was deemed that they did not play in a strong enough conference to warrant getting in. Uh, Liberty went undefeated this year. They did not get in. Why did they not get in? Because subjectively it was decided that they did not play a strong enough schedule. Now, I know that that's 
different than a power five program. But um, the, what's been funny to me is that people are, it's kind of like, it's almost like they just realized like it's subjective. Like it has always been subjective. That's been the whole thing the whole time. And I think it just finally is kind of playing out in a way that's unique. So I think if you truly look at it from a, what teams are the four best in this moment, have the best chance to win a national championship. I think they got it mostly right. Now, I think you could still argue that programs like Georgia and Ohio State could be considered four best teams as well. That's kind of another argument for another day. But when it came down to the Texas, Alabama, Florida State decision, the two teams that I personally believe are the best were the two teams that they included. Hard to argue. And what maybe, you know, a lot of people are mad. I'm I'm not mad. I'm frustrated. I think I'm frustrated because it kind of goes back to why I've been maybe whining about the playoff committee the last few weeks. Um, and I feel like just the frustration is just going to, you know, laser beam at Boo Corrigan because he's just, man, like I think, I think Alabama over Florida state's the right decision, but like the fact that he went on ESPN and even doubled down on it when, with his, you know, phone call with the, you know, other media who had other questions about it was just like, he went out of his way to say that the Jordan Travis injury, um, played a large reason into why Florida state was ultimately dropped, you know, out of the top four. And I think that is not fair. I also think that that's the wrong way to approach a decision like this. Like I think Alabama had the better resume than Florida state. And I don't know that anywhere in any of the comments that Boo Corrigan made, did he like say that? Cause I, I mean, I mean like, look at this, like Alabama was, I, yeah, I don't like. I don't think he said it at all. Like Alabama went twelve and one. They won the SEC. They had four wins over teams that finished ranked in the final college football playoff poll. They had, according to ESPN's metric, the fifth hardest strength of schedule or strength of schedule rating of number five. Their regular season opponents, the twelve teams that they beat, had a combined record of eighty three and fifty nine, like really good record. And they had six wins over teams that finished with a winning record, not five hundred or better. Teams that finished with seven plus wins. Alabama had beat six of those teams. Florida State went 13-0. They won the ACC. They had three wins over teams that finished ranked in the final college football playoff poll, but their strength of schedule rating by the same ESPN metric, 55. The combined record of And I do think he mentioned that. I do think he mentioned – that was the one thing that I think he mentioned was that Florida State's strength of schedule was considerably worse than Alabama's. But that's the only real direct comparison – that I heard made in all of his comments that he made. And he, he just totally buried the lead on that. And so I think like the fact that he led with like, yeah, Jordan Travis's injury played a role. That's fine. But like, man, you've got to come out and be like, look, Alabama had a better resume. They had a better win. The playoff committee for all their faults have a documented history. Now, multiple times this season, I think I've said this on the pod before. And I think I said it to you Saturday night while we were watching the final couple games. Playoff committee rewards big wins. Washington went to Corvallis and beat Oregon State, and they hopped Florida State into the Final Four when they were still a bunch of undefeated teams. Georgia pounds Ole Miss, and they jump Ohio State for the number one spot. Like, Alabama beats Georgia, so Oregon loses. Ohio State doesn't play. Texas wins, so they jump in. Um, Georgia has to fall. Alabama jumps in. Like, they reward the big wins. And the fact that they did not get out in front and say Alabama had a better resume, Alabama had more wins over better teams, Alabama had arguably, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest win of the season over Georgia. Like, they went out of their way to say it was what Washington did when they jumped Florida State. They went out of their way to say it was what Georgia did when they hopped Ohio State. The fact that they didn't come out and just say that up front, missed opportunity for the playoff committee to really be like, hey, like, it's because of what Alabama did, not because of what Florida State didn't do. I think it was a failing in that regard. And I, you know, I've been around Boo a little bit. He's a fun guy. You know, I think he's a charismatic guy. Uh, I don't think that has shown through in his media appearances. I think we have to remember uh, big picture wise, and not that you're doing this, but I think Boo's obviously getting a lot of hate. And like, he's basically just a PR spokesperson. Like he is just the person they have picked to represent their views, uh, you know, to the media. But it's, it'd be like me talking when after the five of us at Bama 24 seven have a call, like 
I'm representing our views, but it doesn't mean we all agree. And so you've got all these different viewpoints that he has to, and I've talked to him about this at one point, like, you know, he has to sometimes sell opinions that he doesn't believe in. Now he might've wanted Florida state to be it. And because they're not, he has to then sell why they're not. So he's in a tough spot. I think it's when it goes how it usually goes, it's a fun, enviable job. You get to you know be kind of these Kings of college football when it plays out the way it did uh, yesterday, I think it, it puts him in a tough spot. But I agree with you. I think that somehow the brain trust at the college football playoff, I think, believed, how do we sell this decision? And I think they've thought the easiest way to do it, because based on their criteria, which clearly states if a major player basically is out, that they're like, this is our easiest way to sell this to what's obviously going to be a very upset fan base. But then I think what it did was it led to too much of the – Jordan Travis basically saying, I wish I got hurt earlier, which was really sad. Uh, you had multiple writers being like, well, this is going to lead to people hiding injuries, which I thought that was an overreaction. But I can see how you can get to that logical point. Like when you made it all about just the injury, that kind of became the only talking point and not about Alabama from where they started the season to where they are now has improved tremendously. They just beat a team that had not lost. Uh, in 29 games, two-time national champion. Like, that to me should have been the selling point, and it just never came out, which I think, again, is why so much of the hate is directed at Alabama and the SEC right now. Um, it's it's a tough spot. Now, I mean, again, if Alabama was left out, people would be going wild too. And I could understand. I, now, if we were doing this right now, and Alabama got left out. I'd be making the same argument that I'm making right now, that I think that Alabama is one of the four best teams. But I could understand why they would get left out. If you purely went, all right, undefeated power, five champion, they're getting in, Texas beat Bama, boom, done. I could get that. Now, I don't think that would be four best teams. I think that might be four most deserving teams, but I could understand that argument. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm a little surprised in some regard. Now, you and I, I won't out the people who had differing opinions, but you and I, the night before, when we were talking about it, you and I both said Bama's going to be in. And yeah. that's kind of the point that we, the logical point that we got to, you know, kept talking to people around the SEC and they were so confident Alabama's getting in. I was a little skeptical, but they were like, it's getting in. Greg Sankey obviously had his Sesame Street comment, which I enjoyed. Um, and, and <laughs> you know, it worked out. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, Again, you just very rarely see it actually come down to the final day. I and mean, that was probably ESPN dragged it out for all they could. But that was probably the most exciting selection reveal that I can remember uh, in the 10 years that they've been doing it. And I would argue that, you know, maybe since the first playoff when, mm -hmm. the, you know, it was like TCU, Baylor, Ohio State. Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, Florida State won a conference title with their third string quarterback. Like, no. Apples and oranges, because, you know, people will remember 2014, that Ohio State team took their third string quarterback and hung 59 points on Wisconsin as four point dogs. And so the committee was like, we could choose between two big 12 teams and make, you know, we could make one fan base irrationally mad because we picked one over the other. Or we could pick this third option that looked really impressive. And, you know, these two teams can just fight with each other over there. And yep. so... I think, you know, and obviously that one worked out because Ohio State got in as the four and they ended up winning the whole thing that year. This is not that. Um, this to me, like I I would argue, like, you know, I don't like that they use the Jordan Travis injury, but I, I would argue that Alabama would still have a better resume than Florida State, even if Jordan Travis was healthy. Like I just, I on paper, like I just don't know that you can argue that. Um, would it have if been easier? If Travis was healthy, I do think Florida State gets in over Alabama. I think they do too, um, mostly because like that was just the front facing reason as to why they yeah. said that Florida State got left out. Um, you know, that said, I, I think I would still, I'm similar to you. If they would have put Florida State in now, or if Jordan Travis wouldn't have gotten hurt, I, I would have shrugged. I'd have been like, I get it. Like they undefeated yeah. Power Five champ. That's what this thing was decided. That's what this playoff was created to, you know, accomplish. Like if you're an undefeated Power Five champ, you probably deserve a spot in the playoff. Um, I would have shrugged. I would have been like, I disagree, but I get it. Um, and I, you know, but like, even if Jordan Travis would have gotten hurt, I would have still argued that Alabama would have probably had the better resume, but I would have understood. Like I would totally would have gotten it. Well, and to your point, when we talk about big wins, 
what is Florida State's best win? LSU, right? I guess on a neutral field, that's yeah. what Alabama's third best win, you know? And I think when you start looking at some of that resume, and I told you, you know, like I went through the mock selection thing last year and what stood out, the way that they lay it out is they, based on different metrics, they, they classify some wins as good and some as bad, basically. And they class, you know, if it's good, it's green. And if it's bad, it's red. And it's just like, I don't know, just dumb brain. You see a lot of green, you're like, oh, that's a really good schedule. And you see a lot of red, and you're like, oh, that's not good. And I haven't seen the full metrics for this year. Um, but just knowing kind of how the formula works, I think you saw a lot more green for Alabama than you did for Florida State when they looked at those two. And I think that played a role that just the wins that Alabama was able to stack up against Tennessee, LSU, Ole Miss, um, you know, and Georgia is – you know, if Georgia's not the best win of the season, the only reason it wouldn't be is just because Alabama beating Georgia gives Texas the argument that they beat Alabama, that that might be the best win. But it's one or the other. Either Alabama has the best win or it's involved in the best win because of how good it is. And Florida State just doesn't have it. It's a down ACC. I know there's been all the, the arguments of, well, they had a winning record against the SEC this year. It's like, well, who did they really beat, though? I mean, Florida State over LSU, that's a legit game. They scheduled LSU. LSU's a powerhouse. LSU was not quite what we thought they were going to be. They were still very good. Most likely, I haven't turned in my Heisman vote yet, but most likely had the Heisman winner at quarterback this year. That's a legit game. They they did what they had to do. Unfortunately for them, the rest of the ACC was not very good this year. Clemson was not very good. Uh, they kind of figured out a little bit at the end. I mean, Louisville, watching that game, I mean, it was disgusting watching that team. Um, it just, it's just a down league, and that's in part why – Florida State is desperate to get out of the ACC, not even just because of the money, but when you go undefeated and win your league and you still don't get in, kind of says it all. That's why they're mad. And so I get it. I think it's if you're if I was a Florida State fan, I would be so angry uh, today because they did everything they had to and they still didn't get in. But, you know, you you can only play who's on your schedule. And Alabama, as the metrics show, had a much harder schedule and did better with it. And that's just kind of how it works out. And this is not a conspiracy theory. I don't think this is why the decision was made, but there was no doubt in my mind that Michigan Alabama is a considerably more attractive and entertaining matchup than Michigan Florida state would be. I, I mean, Michigan Alabama in the Rose bowl, and we'll talk about it either this podcast or down the line. Like that's an awesome game. I mean, I'm already excited about it. You know, that's two of the premier powerhouses and brands in college football playing in the granddaddy of them all. I mean, that is from a TV standpoint, it does not get any better than Michigan, Alabama. And again, I don't believe the conspiracy theories that that's why it got picked. But if you are looking about four best teams, most compelling matchups, Bama certainly exceeds what Florida state is at this current moment. hundred um, percent. I think the, the final note on this is that, you know, I, I don't know very many Florida State fans. The one that I do know are are very smart fans, smart sport. I you know we know the difference between like the, the irrational fans and the smart, more level headed fans. Every Florida State fan that I know, admittedly, not many, um, they all kind of shrugged and said like, "I get it, like it stinks." Um, but you know they they I think they understood, and I think you know just talking to those guys, their anger, rightfully, more at the playoff committee, right? Just the fact yeah. that it's you know, it's a subjective 13 person panel that ultimately makes this decision. Um, but then on top of that, like it's, you know, I would be mad at the playoff committee because, you know, when they went about designing this thing, like it was to kill the BCS. So instead of picking two teams, let's pick four. That's okay. dumb because there's five power conferences for four That's playoff right. spots, right? Super silly. And if you really, really want to get meta about it, like, you know, remember the Alliance, Yep. You remember the, the, the ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten alliance after Texas called the SEC and said, let us out of the Big 12, we want to come party with you guys? And so, like, they formed that alliance, and it was basically a voting block, right? And what was the biggest thing that they blocked? The potential to expand to a 12-team playoff that would have, I believe, been instituted this year. Yep. Like, if you really want to go back and get mad about that, like, Florida State should be mad at the committee for obvious reasons, they should also be mad at their own conference. So like, not only do they want to leave because of money issues, but like, you know, I'm not saying that's a primary reason they should also want to leave, but like direct your ire at the people that made this 
scenario even possible, right? And here's here's what I'll add to that. That's a great point. And Ross Dellinger wrote a good story about that after the game on Saturday that hit on some of that stuff. Here's what I think is an important point. So I, I've seen some of the reaction to that has been, well, it's because the SEC stole Texas and Oklahoma and that caused mistrust and all these different things. I get it. That is why the alliance was formed, no doubt. But two things to it. One, what did they get out of it? Absolutely nothing. I mean, I remember writing at the time it was a joke. The SEC was laughing at them for their alliance and that terrible press conference that they did on Zoom. But here's the second thing. The guy who got burned the most by Alabama, by the SEC taking Texas and Oklahoma, Big 12 commissioner Bob Bowlesby, you know what he did? He still tried to push the expansion ahead. He was able to realize that, as they say in The Godfather, it's just business, not personal. I mean, he got screwed and he had a good relationship with Greg Sankey. I know he felt hurt by how the SEC took Texas and Oklahoma, felt hurt how Texas and Oklahoma didn't give him a heads up. But he still realized for the betterment of the sport, playoff expansion should happen. And he pushed it forward. He was not the one who blocked it. It was instead the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. And why did they do it? Out of jealousy, because they also wanted Texas and Oklahoma. And they did it because they want. They were mad the SEC was gaining power. And they said, you know what? Greg Sankey wants this, so we're not going to do it. We're going to stop him. Well, guess what? Greg Sankey just got his team in again. And Jim Phelps in the ACC, who's probably been one of the most disappointing commissioners uh, out of anybody. And that's, I mean, Pac-12 hasn't beat, but he's probably right behind it. He now has to send out a temper tantrum statement complaining about the committee getting left off. Well, if you had just looked at what was actually smart for the ACC, which would be expansion, you could have had Florida State in this year. So there's my little rant. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. See, everybody's just mad. Everybody's mad. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's fired up over college football playoff. Um, Wanted to touch on the game that Alabama played on Saturday, right? It feels like it happened a week ago. 27-24 win over top-ranked Georgia formerly top-ranked Georgia. That's what got Alabama into the playoff to begin with. The 11th SEC championship game won by Alabama. Uh, SEC title games instituted in 1992. Alabama's now won 11 of those. 30th all-time SEC championship for the Crimson Tide. Uh, Nick Saban now, what, four four wins over Georgia in the SEC championship game? This was a great game, man. Like, this this had – this. I, it was a fun game to watch, just – from a pure football fan perspective. And this was, I mean, I know Saban said, I believe it was after the LSU game, that that was probably the best complete team performance that they had had, at least up to that point. I would argue that this trumps it. Like this was, this was the best version of Alabama that we have seen. This was the team that was capable. The team that played on Saturday night is capable of winning the whole thing. The team that showed up on Saturday um, deserved, I believe the opportunity to have the chance to go win the whole thing. They ultimately got that on Sunday. What was, I know we're a little, we're a few days removed now, but like what was, what was your biggest takeaway from, from Alabama's win over Georgia? I think it's, it's something that I think we've hit on all year round. And I think that is Alabama's resiliency and their ability to make adjustments. And, you know, we were texting last night um, about, Saban's really interesting answer to Roman Harper and SEC Network. And, you know, he gave kind of a similar answer in the press conference afterwards, you know, about just what they saw after the first drive that Georgia put together. That was just, it was just a beautiful drive. It was a, uh oh, Georgia's got it figured out kind of drive where it just was scripted beautifully. Bama, I mean, was barely touching guys on that drive. I mean, Georgia just did everything they wanted on the first drive. And you thought, all right, this is going to be interesting. And, you know, Georgia, especially under offense coordinator Mike Bobo, is known for having really good scripts to start games. So for me, it was like, all right, they're going to come out looking good. Can you withstand the early onslaught and make adjustments and figure it out? And Alabama obviously did. I mean, defensively made really good adjustments. I think coming into the game, we talked a lot about Brock Bowers and that impact. And again, that first drive, I mean, he was looking dangerous. And they did a really good job, I think, of dealing with Brock 
Now, I know he wasn't 100%, and that might have helped them. But still, I thought they did a really good job of dealing with him, just how dangerous and explosive he can be as a player. I thought they did a pretty good job of, you know, dealing with Carson Beck, did a great job with the run, which was a concern I think both of you and I had after how they performed against Auburn. And then offensively, you know, I don't think Jalen Milrow had his best game. I mean, there are multiple throws that ball, it was just off, you know, a little high, a little too low, not enough zip, whatever it might have been. But I thought it was really smart. I think it was around the third or so drive of the game where Tommy Reese started running Jalen Milrow. And it was like, all right, this is probably what we're going to have to do to win this game. And I think that was something that I thought about, too, that, like, you got to unleash this guy. Like, you're going to need every yard you can get against the Georgia defense. Like, you're going to have to run Jalen. And it felt like once they started running him out, I thought that the offense really opened up from that point and, and looked, you know, more effective and explosive and all those different things. So, I mean, big picture, I think it was kind of kind of encapsulated a lot of what the season has been for Alabama. Start off not looking great, make adjustments, get stronger as the game goes on. And, you know, that there were some big boy moments at the end of that game where Georgia was really putting the pressure on Alabama and, and they delivered. And I think that, again, just speaks to the resiliency of this team. Yeah, no, I, I the defense was I, <laughs> Georgia was the hot knife on that first drive. Um, Alabama's defense was the butter. Um, what eight plays, 86 yards, touchdown, they go up seven zero. Georgia scored a field goal. Like they, they 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 did not score points on seven of their next eight drives. And the only points that they did score was a field goal. Like that is that that a very impressive defensive performance. And I Saban made the comment, and it it struck me because he had made similar comments after a couple different games this season where you know they, they were trying to maybe adjust you know, how they were aligned on the defensive line to try and stop the run because they knew that a lot of Georgia's offense, I Carson Beck's phenomenal. Um, I think he showed that again, even though Alabama frustrated him quite a bit. Um, but it starts with the run game. And so they were trying to, I guess, get too cute a little bit and trying to do different things to stop the run. And they got carved up. And then they basically retreated back to their base defense, like what they do very well. And they stopped the run. Like that was kind of it. I mean, you, we could get into the X's and O's about the whole thing, but they, they basically reverted back to what they do best. And that is, I, they, they're a very good run defense and like just kind of proof again that like the game against Auburn was just more about Hugh Freeze's ability to game plan and just, you know, it's a rivalry game. And just that's, that's, that's the outlier because you look at what Alabama has been able to do the rest of the year. They have bottled up many of the SEC's top rushing attacks and they did it again. I think Georgia finished with like 78 total rushing yards. Um, you know, I think when you adjust for, you know, they got to Carson Beck twice, when you adjust for sacks, they still only finished with 86 rushing yards. Like it was just, they, they stopped Kendall Milton who had been on a tear, you know, they stopped Dejan Edwards who had been very, very good. Like it was a really good two headed rushing attack. And, you know, I think they, they, they did what I thought they should have done, which was just, you need to find a way to get pressure on Beck with four. And they did, they finished with 11 pressures. They sacked him twice, multiple tackles for loss. Um, and you need to trust the secondary. And they did that. And that was the other thing that really stuck out. There's a lot of really good, talented receivers on that Georgia offense. And Carson Beck can throw dots. And they basically said, we got two first-round corners. Alabama said this. Two first-round corners. We have a superstar at safety. We have really good depth. Well, let's trust those guys. And they did. And it was, you know, Carson Beck still threw for 240-some yards. But, like, he had to earn it. Those receivers had to earn their way open. And it was a very, very impressive performance. And they held them off long enough for the offense to score 17 unanswered. Um, and then at that point, both the offenses were cooking. And that was the the tremendous ending that we saw there in the fourth quarter. And I think it, just to go back a second too, like, I think one of the underrated characteristics of Saban is just A, his ability to adapt and B, to be humble enough to be willing to adapt. So you think about just knowing a little bit how they do things. They obviously spent many, many hours coming up with a defensive game plan. You've got Nick Saban, one of the greatest defensive minds ever. You've got Kevin Steele, who's been a damn good SEC defensive coordinator for a long time. Traveris Robinson. They come up with this game plan. They put it together. And in the first drive, it doesn't work. There are a lot of other coaches that would be like, we spent a lot of time working on this game plan. Let's keep rolling with it. Like, let's, it's going to maybe work the next drive. And instead, Saban's like, nope, that didn't work. Throw it out. Let's go back to what we do. And I think that that's to be able to do that in the moment to realize what you're seeing is not, you're not prisoner of the moment, but you're, what you're seeing is, okay, that what we thought was going to work that we spent all this time working on and all of our brain power to come up with, it's not actually going to work in this game. And we need to go back to 
what we should have been maybe doing from the get-go. And I think that that's just just a, a move that I don't know how many coaches make uh, or they do too much and they try to go too far one way. I just, I thought I was just very impressed by that, realizing that in the moment. And I think there's so much to be said of just these little moments. Uh, and that was a big moment, but just handling a high pressure situation. And I think Kirby Smart's an incredible coach. I don't think he had many bad decisions in this game, but I think in these high pressure situations, Saban very, very rarely makes a bad mistake. And I think more often than not, he's willing to make that big adjustment that pays off huge. And of course, you know, the most famous one against Georgia was replacing Jalen Hurts for Tua Tonga Valoa, but he's been able to make those adjustments in big moments. And I just think that, you know, just huge. And it just, again, speaks to his brilliance as a head coach. Yeah. Well, and while they were doing that defensively, I mean, you mentioned it too on the offense. Um, you know, another thing that I thought that they had to do in this game was I established the Milrow, right? The first two drives, back-to-back three and outs. They, I didn't have an issue with the fact that they tried to throw six times um, or four times through the first six plays, um, but like three incompletions and Milrow took a sack. Very first play of the third drive, Milrow takes off running nine-yard gain. And just yeah. the threat to run opened up everything else. It led to 17 unanswered points, back-to-back-to-back scoring drives in the first half. They go up 17-7 at halftime. And the offense stagnated a little bit because, again, get credit to Kirby Smart for probably making some halftime adjustments. But this too, and we've said this about Alabama, different variations of it all season long, Georgia closes into within 20-17. to Alabama had to have it. And I think I even said it when we were sitting there watching the game. I was just like, if Alabama does not get any sort of points here, they are probably in trouble. And to that point, they had gone like, I think, five straight scoreless drives or four straight scoreless drives. They marched down the field, nine plays, 75 yards. Um, You know, Milrow, I think when he hit bond like four or five times on that drive, went four for four. I mean, he started three of nine passing, finished 10 of 14, hit his five last passes I think yeah it was Dupree once and then four straight to Isaiah Bond go down score touchdown go up 27-17 Georgia comes right back scores within three again 27-24 very first play of that next drive I was like they probably need a couple first downs 30 yard run by Milrow and that effectively killed the game like just amazing poise and I same thing we were talking about during the Iron Bowl right mistake 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 and then fourth and 31 happens and it's just it's a dot and I, I like I still remember Milrow after that throw, just super calm, collected, looking at the sideline. What's next? Same thing here, right? Like Georgia comes within three. Okay, well we're gonna go, you know. And he did it with his arm. And then again, Georgia comes within three, and we're gonna go again. And he's, you know, takes off running. Not just that thirty-yard run, but like two plays later, eight-yard run to move the sticks. And then they were able to run the clock down. Like just incredible poise, incredible just growth over the course of the season. And, you know, I think it was Rodak who made this point too. another part of this game that Alabama needed to win was the turnover battle. And very quietly since the bye, one turnover by Alabama's offense. And it was just that weird ill-advised crossbody throw against Kentucky. Otherwise, like they have dominated the turnover battle. And this one, especially right. Shout out Tresman Marshall, former Georgia player jumps on a fumble when Georgia tries to get too cute way backed up in their own area leads to a field goal that ultimately stood up as the final margin. Just incredible stuff out of the offense. Another, like you mentioned, not even Milrow's best game, but it was still good enough to beat Georgia, which is wild. Would we have said that in September? No, no. Again, I think there's been, what's so amazing about, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, is that like, it's not that anything that has happened from a big picture standpoint shocks you. It's just about when you actually watch it week to week, it gets more and more surprising. But like, if you told me again, at the beginning of the year, Alabama went 12 and one and beat Georgia in the SC championship game. Like, yeah, I could see that happening. Like that's, they should be in that kind of spot. But I just think, and I think it's part of what people are upset about Alabama too, maybe making the playoff is that I think sometimes we get locked into earlier opinions and like they lose to Texas, look really bad against South Florida. And it was like, I right, this Alabama team bad. Like they're just, they're a mess get them out, you know, and then it takes kind of watching them week to week where you just see that improvement, that improvement, and you see them building up to where they are now. Um, You know, I think it's interesting. I I was listening to our colleague, Josh Pate, and he kind of brought up that like after that week three loss, week, excuse me, felt like a loss, week three win over South Florida. (laughs) I think Josh was like, I don't think this team's coaching staff is good enough 
to to basically be good. And he kind of issued an apology, uh, kind of an apology for it. And but that's that's also the thing. I remember at that time, we're just like, man, people did not like Tommy Reese. There was that weird thing with you know, ended up with Lane. Like, is Kevin Steele calling the plays? Is it Traveris Robinson? The offensive line looked like a disaster. It's like, what is going on with them? It, it was just like. It was pure on panic mode uh, at that time. And it's just kind of been an amazing story to see them grow from there uh, to, w- to where they are, obviously, now. And and having, uh, you know, we'll save this for another podcast. But, I mean, you can definitely talk yourself into Alabama winning this national championship. You know, I think the opportunity to have a month to game plan and strategize against Michigan, I think they match up well against Michigan, honestly. And then, you know. If, we'll see what happens uh, from there. You got to win that first one. Um, and that's, you know, they're an underdog in that game, which I think plays right into Alabama's favor. And then, you know, potentially a, a Texas national championship rematch. I mean, it's just, it's uh, it's going to be really exciting to see how that all plays out. But I think that, you know, again, we've got a month to wait. So I'm not trying to, you know, get too, get too wild over it, but I'm already excited about that Bama Michigan game. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, the, the early, early scouting report and, like you mentioned, we have plenty of time to get into this and kind of look at the nitty gritty. And, um, you know, one of my good friends actually covers Michigan. So we'll be able to gain some really good insight, you know, as we get closer to that game. But, um, you know, this is, this might be oversimplifying it, but like I, in the same way that I did not trust Joe Milton, Tennessee quarterback this year, I'm not sure how much I trust JJ McCarthy. And if that's the guy that Michigan needs to put, you know, if, if that's the guy that Michigan needs to win the game, I really like Alabama's chances and, you know, again, we'll get into it more, you know, as we get closer to that game, but like, it also says a lot and you know, I'm sure everybody has seen the video by now and, and Harbaugh maybe walked it back a little bit on the press conference on Sunday, but like, you know, somebody was there recording Michigan as the playoff was getting announced. And I think they were even doing the tomahawk chop, hoping that they would get Florida state. And then the big script a shows up on the board and there's just a big groan in the room and everybody just kind of drops a little bit and, um, you know, that's, man, if I'm, if I'm Alabama's creative team, I am playing that on a loop all over the facility. Yeah. I was, so one of my, one of my friends covers Michigan and he was at that, uh, watch party and we were talking about it last night. And it's just like, and I told him, I was like, that is something that people like me make note of. And it's essentially if Alabama wins, like that might be my lead of the game, you know, just because like that immediate kind of guttural reaction to it, like, if you're Michigan, like you can't be happy that's out there. And obviously, you know, I support the media and, and all that, but that's one of those like, man, I, I would have paid probably a lot of money if I'm Michigan to not have that video get out because it's just, again, it's just an immediate reaction of like, Oh, that's not who we wanted. And I think it says it all. Now I think again, Michigan can win. We'll talk about that down the line. I, I don't think it's, you know, again, it, there's it's, a path. There's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. A path. Michigan's a good team. They're, they're undefeated. They won the big 10 to beat Ohio state. I mean, that's, that's a quality team overall, but you can tell they won Florida State. Um, and I would yeah. too, you know, I, Florida State against their backup quarterback after how they've looked. Like, yeah, if I'm Michigan, I'm like, we'll take Florida State, we'll win that game. And then, you know, we got a shot, whether it's against Washington or Texas. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm going to wrap up today's show with some, some maybe quick thoughts on the transfer portal. Today is, as at least as we're recording this, December 4th. Transfer portal officially open today through January 2nd, a 30-day window here. Uh, 247 Sports actually has a transfer Palooza show that's going on right now as we're recording this. Go check that out. We're also running a deal, 60% off your subscription. It is an upgradable subscription, so if you're already subscribed, you can go click that and get 60% off, I believe, for an annual membership um, to mark the occasion. But a lot of big names have already jumped into the portal. Um, Brett Greenberg and I, our recruiting guy, kind of put together a, you know, hey, now that the portal's open – um, Alabama's obviously still playing for a national title, so we're probably not going to see a ton of names 
enter into the transfer portal, or at least as many as we maybe thought. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that the expectation is a handful of Alabama players will probably enter their name in the portal. They've lost, I think, as many as 30 guys over the last two or three seasons to the portal. Um, I think it's also fair to say that Alabama will continue to mine the portal, right? They've had success. They haven't brought in a ton of guys through the portal in recent years, but the guys that they have brought in have been very high impact guys, you know, like Jermaine Burton, for example, Tresman Marshall, obviously from Georgia as well, but, um, you know, Eli Ricks, Trey Amos, who played very, very well after Kool-Aid went out in the Georgia game, wanted to make sure I mentioned that, um, you know, a lot of depth guys on the defense stepping up, um, you know, but then also, you know, like I think I mentioned Eli Ricks coming over a couple years ago, Jameer Gibbs, um, another big guy, Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt. Now he's in the NFL. Um, you know, Alabama doesn't go after a ton of guys in the portal, but when they do, they tend to be high impact guys. And we've already seen a ton of big names already enter the portal. I don't know that a lot of these names are guys that Alabama will go after, but they might have a cup of coffee or conversation with some of these guys. Um, most notably, a ton of quarterbacks, I think, have already jumped in. Kyle McCord from Ohio State, Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, Dante Moore from UCLA, former five-star guy, Cam Ward from Wazoo, Walter Nolan from A&M, defensive lineman, you know, past blue chip of the blue chips in his recruiting class. He's in there. That could be somebody that Alabama takes a look at handful of receivers, handful of DBs. Brett and I, again, took, uh, you know, we took time to write a story about like the, the few positions that we think Alabama should maybe target through the portal. Um, I think we settled on uh cornerback, right? Because Kool-Aid and Terry on are probably bound for the NFL. We believe Trey Amos is on his way back, which is exciting. And then past that, just a lot of really young guys. Um, so it makes sense to maybe go after a corner there to, you know, bring some experience into the room. We also settled on right tackle, um, you know, J.C. Latham. You want a, you want a crazy J.C. Latham stat? Um, J.C. Latham, 26 consecutive starts, over 1,600 snaps played at right tackle over the last two seasons for Alabama. He has allowed one sack and four total QB hits in over 1,600 snaps. Yeah, that's a big uh, loss. <laughs> yeah, so... I know that they've got some tackle options, right? Caden Proctor's been the guy at left tackle, but there's Elijah Pritchett there who kind of battled with him as well. Does he shift to right tackle? Uh, Miles yeah. McVay, who's a true freshman, does he shift to right tackle? I'm not sure. Alabama, obviously, with you know Tyler Steen, I know he played left tackle, but they've had um, success going to the portal there um, to find you know kind of plug-and-play offensive linemen. And then I think the other one we settled on, which is kind of a little weird to think back, um, and I think we even wrote this, that it's a little weird to include receiver as potentially a portal, you know, not need, but like, you know, that's probably a place where they could go to just because I think, I think we're operating under the presumption that Jermaine Burton will be gone after this year. Um, you know, I think he's, he's maybe built up his NFL resume enough that he'll probably go to the league. So that's, you know, I think Alabama needs somebody for that Z receiver, but there's still a lot of bodies that are going to be there. Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice, Jalen Hale, Jaron Hamilton, Cole Adams, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks is still there as well. We're not sure what's going to happen to him. Um, you know, Emmanuel Henderson's there, Kendrick Law's there, Malik Benson's there. I think we're also operating under the presumption that there could be a lot of movement from that receiver room, which has been the case the last two years, right? Eight or nine receivers from Alabama's receiver room has gone to the portal um, the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I think we settled on those three cornerback, right tackle plus offensive line kind of at large. And then also, you know, kind of just keep an eye on the receiver thing. Also, you know, keep an eye on maybe the running back room, maybe keep an eye on, you know, edge rusher defensive line, maybe keep an eye on safety, um, you know, just kind of as, you know, players matriculate into the transfer portal. Do you, John, do you, I do you agree with that? Do you have any thoughts on kind of the positions that we settled on or maybe anything else we may have missed as we were, you know, putting that together? Yeah. I mean, I think big picture, there's a couple of quick things I'll offer one and you know, Mike, asked Saban about this yesterday and I, I think it's a smart part we talked about this ahead of time but the fact that Alabama won and is playing the playoff I think limits the portal exodus potential um, I just think that most guys are going to want to um, you know continue to play obviously and be part of the program and they might be getting ready to leave but I don't I'd be surprised if a lot of them hit the portal so I think it's going to be a little bit of a quieter kind of early start to the portal window for Alabama uh, we've seen in past years I can think about um when Alabama played Georgia in 2021 national championship, it was like the day after the game where you saw multiple guys going to the portal. So I think that's what I would look toward where probably after Alabama's season ends at this point, you'll see guys jump in. I think you hit on some of the ones that make sense. I think big picture wise, you know, Alabama typically loses depth and then they try to add guys who are going to be starters. Um, Saban's talked about that multiple times. You really don't want to grab a guy out of the portal 
unless there's a real viable path to them making a major impact uh, on your season. And I think they've had a pretty high hit rate on that overall. Um, even if, you know, Trey did not win a starting job to start the year, how he played in an SC championship game just shows the value. And, and so and, good. And adding a guy like that. Jalen Key's obviously been very good. Um, so I think the ones that you hit on make sense. I think you got to grab a cornerback. I think wide receiver is just one of those that there's going to be some talent that will hit the market. And I think you've seen the impact, uh, you know, Keon Coleman, right? Like if when, when a guy like that hits the market and famous had success, whether it's Jameson Williams, Jermaine Burton, I just think if you can grab a guy who's a major impact guy, you take him every time. You can always use a great wide receiver. And so I think that's where I think they will be aggressive uh, in that area. Offensive line, offensive linemen are very hard to find. And so I think they'll be looking, um, but that is one of the hardest things to find in the market because literally everyone wants one. Um, so that that's going to be interesting to see where they can get in the game. And you know, I'll just tell you that in this current world we live in, uh, Alabama is not the most aggressive when it comes to NIL. Um, there are some schools that are more traditionally aggressive. Um, I think what you're seeing right now, especially with the quarterback situation, uh, which Alabama is not going to add a major transfer QB, you know, the Miamis, the Oregons of the world, like those are the schools that are aggressive shoppers uh, in the portal. I don't think Alabama is in that market um, in that way. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of get in the mix for Walter Nolan, who at one point was, you know, number one or number two player in the country, went to Texas A&M. I think the market is going to be pretty high for him, uh, which to me would probably knock out Alabama, but we'll, we'll see if they can try to get in the mix. Um, so I think it, I think Cody, it's, it's a mix of what are you shopping for? And also it's kind of like when I go to target and I have a plan and then I see something there that I want that wasn't on my plan. I'm like, oh, I'll take that too. And so there's, there are going to be some guys who are going to pop into the portal that Alabama might think, Hey, I didn't know that guy was going to go into the portal, but he's really good. And we should try to add him. Um, and so I think you'll see, they average what five to six guys somewhere in that range every year that they add from the portal standpoint. Um, so I think, unfortunately for our Bama audience, I don't think it's going to be as exciting for Alabama portal wise because of what they have going on. But the flip side of that is because they're in the playoff. That's why. So take the good of you're going to be in the playoff. There's a lot of excitement coming down the line for why there might not be quite as much exciting news in the portal side, um, but they'll, they'll end up, adding guys, losing guys, and that'll play out over the next you know, month or so. Yeah, and I think, the I mean, the other thing to consider here, too, is that, you know, Alabama routinely reloads with blue-chip players on the recruiting trail as well. So, you know, they may have an answer. You know, if, if they don't go after certain positions in the portal, it's probably because they feel like they have the answer coming in on the recruiting trail, too. So that's, you know, that was another thing that I mentioned, especially, like, with the receiver room. Um, I know they got a few guys that are coming in that are projected to be defensive backs. If they enroll early, that, you know, would obviously bolster their, you know, chances of maybe playing a little bit more next fall. But um, if you add Jordan Seaton, you know, who's one of the nation's top offensive linemen who Alabama is very deep in, you know, could he be kind of that freshman starter at right tackle the way that Caden was at left tackle? You know, you get him and that maybe lessens your need, uh, you know, for an offensive tackle um, portal prospect. So, yeah, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a smart point to me. Uh, yeah. that's that's a tricky part of it you know it's just like you want to develop your program you want guys to have an opportunity to play but sometimes you need to add a portal guy who's going to play right away yeah no i think it's 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 become college football's free agency right and and i think teams would be kind of silly to not explore that right i think I, another you know position to maybe keep an eye on you know as we were writing that we obviously said right tackle because of latham leaving but we also you know kind of made mention that you know seth mclaughlin has not confirmed if he's going to come back or not at center i think a lot of alabama fans because of his snapping issues would prefer that he just kind of move along but um you know that's that's valuable experience that he has and if he's gone like that is you know there's a handful of other guys who are in the room there's also some interior linemen coming in through the recruiting trail who i know will be you know, with Alabama um, at the Rose Bowl, you know, so they'll be part of the bowl prep and they'll, you know, be able to get that head start before spring ball. So, you know, do one of those guys emerge, you know, come the spring or, or fall camp? That's, you know, something to keep an eye on. If Seth doesn't come back, um, he's been a little noncommittal about that, or at least, you know, kind of sabinized to the point that he's kind of where his feet are and he'll focus on that when the season's over, but just something else to keep in mind. Um, you know, we'll be, we'll be doing our best to keep tabs on all the portal stuff. Again, we're not expecting a ton of movement either in or out of Alabama for now, just because obviously they're still playing, but 
um, that is something else that we'll keep tabs on because that's uh, college football is it's, it's approaching NFL levels of literally never sleeping. Um, and the portal is a great example of that. No doubt. Uh, I'll throw it out. If you're not already follow Matt Zenitz and Chris Hummer, uh, those guys are monsters covering transfer portal right now. And you know, they're going to be on, you mentioned the transfer portal Palooza show, which everybody should watch as well. Um, but just in general, follow Hummer and Zenitz. Those guys are everywhere. Yeah. Those guys, they, they're, <laughs> they're locking down the portal the same way Schefter locks down NFL news. Sure. Um, yeah, college football playoff, SEC championship game, transfer portal stuff. I think that's all we got on today's show. John, you got any final thoughts before we sign off? No, I mean it's been a it's been a wild uh, couple day stretch here, um, and you know I think it's a little bit little calm down some here coming up, but you know I'm sure we'll have a lot more. Uh, well, you know as we get into it, a lot more Bama Michigan stuff to come. Um, we can get some. You've got a Michigan friend who covers them i've got a friend who covers michigan we get some maybe some guests in over the next month or so to uh you know try to break down this game absolutely i think the tentative plan later this week either uh rodak or brad or even john i'll kind of i'll throw it out to the team and see what we can do but we'll probably talk a little bit more transfer portal stuff maybe talk some hoops later this week um since yes it, it is also basketball season alabama this we're recording this on monday alabama does play at home tonight i believe um arkansas state um, so, you know, we'll touch on that. We'll touch on some, some transfer portal happenings. And then, um, in the weeks ahead, we'll get ready for the college football playoff national semifinals, Alabama versus Michigan. Been a tremendous season. We'll see if the tide can keep it going. Uh, before we return later this week, be sure to rate and review the show, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page, subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 sports. Again, 60% off an annual subscription. It is upgradable. Um, you know, that is a transfer portal special. So be sure to take advantage of that. Put a link to that in the show notes, guys. Um, subscribe to 247 Sports if you're a college football fan, but especially if you're an Alabama fan, we've had a lot of fun stuff this season. Plan on having a lot more fun stuff over the next month to get you ready for the Rose Bowl. Thank you again, John, for coming in. Thank you again, guys, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.